So Matthew chapter 28. This month we are, I've already announced it once this morning, but we are in uh, a missions emphasis month uh, here at the church. Now we, we started this for the first time last year and it really worked well and, and we set a missions offering goal of $2,500 and I think we came within 30 $35 of reaching that last fall. So I really feel like this this year we can definitely reach our goal of missions. Now, when, when we talk about special missions offering, and this is not really a part of the sermon, just kind of give you an idea if you're not sure of what that does. Every dollar that you give towards the special missions offering is going to go straight to missions. It's going to be divided into four areas. Uh, normally, in a regular church calendar year, the church takes up four love offerings for missions. One of those uh, goes to the International Mission Board, which supports missionaries that are not on our continent. Uh, and then so there's a, a love offering we take for North American missions, which is in the United States, Canada, Mexico. And then there are um, there's state missions offerings, which is specifically for the state of Oklahoma. And then there's a Mother's Day offering that we take that goes to help uh, support uh, the Baptist boys and girls homes that are in Oklahoma that, that uh, are places where young boys and girls who uh, don't have a place to live or having some issues, they go to these homes and they're Christian-based, okay? And so that's where these offerings are going to go. 100% of what you give is going to go to one of those four uh, missions endeavors. And make no mistake, uh, I believe that giving towards missions is a vital part of missions, I believe that churches ought to give financially towards missions. There are some examples of that uh, in, the, in the book of Acts in particular, like the church at Antioch, who, who gave uh, towards another church and some missions efforts that were going on, and there's others as well. And so I believe that we should give towards missions. However, we ought also be doing missions. Now, I want to talk about that today. You see, because I think for far too long and for far too many in many churches and in many individuals, giving to missions has been in place of doing missions instead of along with doing missions. Instead of being missionaries and doing missions and giving towards missions as well, a part of it, a lot of people and a lot of churches have replaced going with giving. Instead of going, we give, and then we say, well, because we give, we're technically going. No, it's not the same. And they, they should go together, not be apart. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, on the back of your bulletin, there's a, uh, on your bulletin insert, there's a, a statement made by a theologian who says, uh, a Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. I want you to think about that. Because every Christian, every Christian, and you're not excluded if you're a believer, has been commissioned to go. So you can't look at the word and say, well, that's for the missionaries, or that's for the preacher, or that's for the leaders, or no. Every Christian has been commissioned to go as missionaries. And so while we ought to give, and we are this month, straight towards missions, it ought not be in place of going ourselves. It ought to be along 
with. And so as we take up this offering for the next four, four weeks in here, we're going to study about our part in actually doing missions. And, and today I want us to start by looking at where the idea of us being on mission comes from. And it's found in the book of, or, sorry, the book of Matthew, chapter 28. So if you have your Bibles open, I'm going to ask if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning in Matthew chapter 28. So the word of God says in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16, it says, The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and he said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. God, I pray today that you would bless the reading of your word. And now as we examine it this morning, I pray that I would decrease and your spirit living in me would increase and the words that would be shared would be yours and not mine. Father, I believe with all my heart you have a message for each and every person in this room, including myself. And I pray today that we would be open to your word, that we would be open to your leading and open to your spirit's prodding in our lives, that, Father, we would no longer hide behind our giving as a source of being a missionary, but, Father, we would not only give but go because that's what you've commanded us to do. And I pray that you give us clarity of thought in that today and inspire us uh, through your word to go out and be obedient to your calling. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So in 1988, there was a slogan uh, by a company that took the world by storm. Now, this slogan uh, was so powerful that it has been named the top slogan for the last 100 years of any company uh, by a, a research firm. And it is also, according to the corporate office of this company, it is the primary reason behind their increase of the market shares that they had in North America going from 18% in 1988 to over 43% in 1998 to over 50% going into the 2000s. Matter of fact, their, their profit margin in 1988 was 80, 877 million. In 1998, just 10 years later, their profit margin was $9.2 billion. Now, that is a huge and substantial increase. Now, here's the slogan. Just do it. Just do it. And the slogan was formed by Nike. And Nike, in for 10 years to 20 years, began to set out and put this on everything. If you grew up around that time frame in the late 80s into the 90s, about everything you bought with Nike on it had the phrase, just do it. Just do it. And the reason why it was so successful is because it's personal. It's personal. It's not about getting, doing this or thinking about that or talking about this. It's the idea of talk is cheap. Don't think about it. Don't talk about it. Just go out and do it. And they capitalized in an incredible way. Just do it. You see, when it comes to Christian missions, I think we're guilty of not just doing it. 
Here's the thing. I think we often talk about missions. I think we often think about missions. I think we often pray about missions and pray for missionaries. By the way, it's not a bad thing to pray for your missionaries. We ought to do that. We often even give to missions, but we need to do missions. And as for our time this morning, I want us to see some reasons why we need to do that. Why is it so important that Jesus, upon the completion of his earthly ministry, his, he's came and he's accomplished everything he came to accomplish. He's lived the perfect life. He sacrificed himself on the cross of Calvary. He's died for our sins. He's been laid in a grave. Three days later, he rose again, and, and, and thus he conquered death in the grave. And then he appears to his disciples, and for the next 40 days, he begins to teach them more and encourage them and implore them and even command them to go to the world. Go, therefore, that's what he says in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go into all the world, making disciples. Why would he do that? I want to give you some reasons this morning why we need to go in missions. There's really just four of them that we're going to spend time on uh, today. Number one, when it comes to missions, we just do it because he told you to. Because he told you now, as a parent, if you're not a parent yet, one of these days you might be, or, and maybe you've got young kids and you're going to experience this even more as they get older. But as a parent, one of the more frustrating things to me is that I encounter is um, the question of why. They, they hit that why stage about two or three years old, and then it, it doesn't really change past two or three. Um, it just gets different. Like, like they, they want to know why to everything. You tell them to do something, why? Be, take a bath, why? Because you stink, okay? You, know, they, you give them something to do, and they always want to know why. Go to bed, why? Because it's bedtime, why? Because you have school tomorrow, why? Because it's Monday, why? Because God made it Monday. I don't, what do you mean, why? Well, ask God. I don't know. He's the one that created the days of the week, so let's just ask him. But they, it's why this, why that, and they want to know why we ought to do this. But listen, it's frustrating, but it's especially frustrating when you're trying to help them with something. And they want to know why instead of just understanding that you're trying to help them and follow through with it. But there are also some things as a parent, and I, I tell my kids this, there's just some things you don't need to know why. You do them because you're the child, I'm the parent, and I told you to. You don't need to know why. You just need to do it because I told you to. Now, here's the deal. When it comes to missions, Christ actually tells us why, and we're going to talk about some of those in a few minutes. He actually gives us the reason why we need to go into the whole world. But even if he didn't, even if we didn't have anything else this morning that I'm going to talk about, the next three points are specific things from his word on why we should go. Even if he didn't tell us why, the fact of the matter is he told us to go, and we ought to go. It shouldn't matter why. He told us, and he is our Savior and our Lord. You see, that's the problem. You see, we have churches full today of believers and Christians who want, every, with everything in them, they want salvation. 
I mean, people don't want to go to hell. By the way, it's a great great reason to become a Christian, by the way. I don't want to go to hell. Okay, that's fine. And that's reality because he came to be our Savior. But the Bible never separates his lordship from his Savior being the Messiah. He is both. You see, and if he becomes your Savior, he simultaneously becomes your Lord. And if he is your Lord, he is your boss. And if he is your boss, you do what he tells you to do, not because you need to know why, but simply because he tells you to do it. And it's because he knows more than you do. He knows the things you don't know. He comprehends things you don't comprehend. He knows everything. We don't know very little of anything, and so we just need to go. Now, granted, it doesn't stop there. He does give us some other reasons, and we're going to look at those. But even if he didn't, we ought to go in mission simply because he told us to go. And therefore, if we're not going, get this. If you're not going, not giving, giving's great, but if you're not going, you are a disobedient child. Now, I want you to think about that. Because um, I don't know very many parents who like having a disobedient child. It's not fun. It's really not fun. You know, I love being a parent. There's some great things that come with parenthood, but probably one of the least fun things is disobedience because I have to correct it. And it's not always fun when they're disobedient. Now, listen, if you're a parent in this room and you know what it's like to be a disobedient child, uh, to have a disobedient child, think about what your Savior and Lord thinks. When he's given you a command and you sit on your hands and do nothing. Oh, you may come to church and you may hear good messages. Well, you may think they're good. You may not think you might you may think they're terrible. I don't know. You may listen to good music. You may think the music's terrible, but you come. You may give in the offering. You may not give. You may read your Bible. You may pray. You may do all this other stuff that are not bad things, things we ought to do. But if that's the the entirety of your salvation and your Christian experience, you are a disobedient child. Because we've been told to go. You know, one of the saddest things as a pastor that I've experienced in my ministry is how so many times churches want to sit back and do nothing and expect people to come in. Do you realize that the lost was not told to go to church, but the church was told to go to the lost? Why do you think he calls us fishers of men? I don't know about you. I don't do a lot of fishing, but fish don't just jump in the boat. And they definitely don't get anywhere near me if I stay on my front porch with all the fishing gear I have but never make it to the lake. You see, that's the way so many churches are. And we wonder, why aren't we growing? Why aren't we seeing people saved? Why? Ask yourself, are you going? The Bible makes it very clear, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a minute, and I know I'm kind of rambling on this point, but it's really serious. We need to go because he told us to do. But here's the thing. How, How do we expect someone to be saved if we don't tell them about Jesus? And you don't tell them about Jesus unless you go. That's reality. And so we're supposed to go. He tells us to. So missions, just do it because he tells us to. Number two this morning. Missions, just do it because of humanity's condition. Now, the next three things are specific reasons that God does tell us why. Now, he shouldn't have to tell us why, but he does. And we need to look at them because I think even understanding these helps us understand even more about why we need to go when it comes to missions. Here's the thing. Humanity's condition. We live in a world that I believe truly believes this. I believe we live in a world that truly believes that man is basically good but does bad things sometimes. 
I think we live in a culture and in a world that thinks man is basically good, but every now and then we mess up and we do bad things. But here's reality. In reality, man is basically evil, and we happen to do quote-unquote good things sometimes. That's the truth. Because the Word of God tells us beyond a shadow of a doubt that our hearts are corrupted. We are, our hearts are evil. We are evil people. We are an evil created people. The Bible says that, that through Adam, all sin entered the world, and through Adam, all have sinned. That means that there's not a person in this room, not a person ever been born outside of Jesus, who has been perfect. Every one of us have sin in our life. The Bible says it like this in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not a person in this room that is perfect. We all sin. And the Bible also says in Romans 6, 23, that because of our sin, the wages of sin or the result of our sin is death. And, and Jesus says it like this in John three seventeen when he says that those who don't believe in him stand condemned already because they haven't believed in him. That's why, the, that's why Paul would say to the Roman church in the beginning of Romans, I believe it's chapter 3, he says this, and he's quoting an Old Testament verse, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeks after God. There's none that's good. That's why the Old Testament would say it like this, our good deeds, even the things that we think are good, are filthy rags unto God. The truth of the matter is, our vessel, our body, and our spirit are evil because we have a sin nature we're born with. That's why you don't have to teach a kid how to lie, steal, cheat, throw a fist, throw a tantrum. You don't have to teach that because it's naturally built into them because they have a fallen nature. And so everything that we do, even though it might be looked at by the world as something good, is still in God's eyes completely corrupted by sin. And that's us and the whole world itself. The world as a whole has a condition, and that condition is sin, and that sin separates us from a holy God. You know, some people ask why, if God's all loving, and, so, and why, why was it? I heard this the, the other day, um, and they were interviewing a guy by the name of R.C. Sproul who passed away, and, and the question was asked, and he was on a panel, why, if God is all-loving, why was the punishment of Adam and Eve so severe? If God is all-loving, why was the punishment of Adam and Eve so severe? I love this response. You ought to Google it because I'm not going to be able to do it the way he did. But he basically just says, what's wrong with you people? We have no comprehension of who God is and who we are. This creature made from the dirt, made from the dirt, disobeyed a holy God. And by the way, that holy God had told them, the day you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. But they didn't die. Instead, he clothed them. Now, did they suffer the consequences of this? Oh, yeah, they suffered consequences, but they did, he didn't kill them. He could have. And he, in, in our manner, said the way we think, he probably should have, but he didn't. You see, we look at everything wrong. We, we look at it like we somehow have the authority to look down on God. We can't look down on God. He's God. 
And we all have this problem. There's none of us that are immune from it. We all have sin. We all have this issue. And that issue is sin, and that sin keeps us from him, and that sin makes us stand condemned in the presence of God unless we come to a Savior, and that Savior being Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that, that we have become God's ambassadors as though he is making his appeal through us so that we would go into the world and tell the world, be reconciled to God. You see, that's why we need to do missions, because people are lost. It's reality. We have people that we know, friends, family, co-workers, whatever, that are slipping off day by day into a place called hell, an eternity separated from God. And the reason why they go there is because they're lost. And it's because they were born lost. Everybody, you don't, you don't get salvation apart from Christ. We have a condition, and therefore we need to go. I think of it like this. There's a, a group of, um, I guess they're technically comedians. I, I'm not really sure, but their name is Penn and Teller. And Penn, who is an avid atheist, avid, he, he does not believe in God. He, he doesn't believe in God at all. However, he does believe in evangelism. He, as a matter of fact, his word is this. If, if you saw a child about to run out into the street and you saw a semi coming down the street, how much would you have to hate that kid not to grab him and warn him of the impending danger? So even as an atheist who doesn't believe in God believes that Christians ought to tell the world about Jesus, and here's why. He says, if, you have, if there really is a heaven and you believe that and there really is a hell... How much do you have to hate someone not to tell? That's his words, not mine. How much do you have to hate someone not to tell them? We have a condition, and if we have the answer, and we hold it to ourselves, what is wrong with us? It's like having the cure for cancer and saying, I'll use it for the people I like, but I'm not going to use it for the world. Like, Why would we do that? We wouldn't. And we have the answer to their basic need of salvation, and it comes through Jesus because they have a humanity's condition, so we need to go. And number three, we need to do missions because the gospel is exclusive. So we, we have this, this idea of, of humanity's condition of sin that's caused them to, be, to fall short of the glory of God and be separated from him and stand condemned by God until they come to Christ. And the fact of the matter is the only way that they can get back to God is through Jesus alone. The gospel is exclusive. The good news of Jesus Christ is not inclusive, it's exclusive. As a matter of fact, it's one of the reasons why the early church was so, um, they, they were condemned so much and they were persecuted so much because they were not willing to, to be thrown into the west of the Roman gods and be accepting of all the other gods and deities they had. They couldn't because the Bible makes it clear that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, and that is his son, Jesus Christ. And they couldn't accept all the other religions as the same. And listen, we live in that kind of culture today. You ever heard this? It doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere in what you believe. It doesn't really matter what road you take. As long as you take a road, you're going to get to heaven. That's what our world believes, but the gospel is exclusive. The Bible makes it very clear that that's not true. I mean, Jesus said it like this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Luke says that there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. 
You see, the truth is people can be sincere as all they want to be. But listen, you can be sincerely wrong. I don't know about you, but there's been times where I was really sincere about something. And then I found out <laughs> I was sincerely wrong. So we, it doesn't matter. The Bible is very clear. The gospel is exclusive. And, and so if you know people that think that way or, or think that something they do or their good works, this is another good one of today. As long as my good works outweigh my bad works, I'm going to somehow end up in heaven. The Bible says that's not true. The Bible says the only way for anyone to be saved is through Jesus. It's exclusive. It's the exclusive gospel, and it's their only hope of salvation. And we need to give it to them because it is the only way. That's it. There is no other hope for those apart from Jesus Christ. It is an exclusive gospel. And some would say, you know, Brother Dwayne, that's a really arrogant statement. Well, number one, take it from me, I didn't say that. Jesus said that. And all religions, I'll be honest with you, all religions can be wrong, but they can't all be right. Think about that. If you have one religion saying you have to do this to go to heaven, you have another religion saying you got to do this to go to heaven. How can they both be right? They can't. It's called the law of, of uh, uh, thank you, that's what you're here for, law of contradiction. They can't both be right. Now, they can all be wrong, but they can't both be right. And Jesus and the word of God makes it clear. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus. The gospel is exclusive, exclusive, and if it's exclusive, then we need to go and tell them. And number four, the last one, is we need to do missions. Just do it because of what he did for us or what he did for you. I think we sometimes forget how great and awesome the love of God truly is. And here's why we forget that. We forget it when we simply don't take the time to stop and remember who we were before Christ, how we met Christ, and what he did for us in Christ, and how we are after Christ. You see, the, the truth of the matter is, when you come to Christ, he does so much for us that sometimes in the, in the burdens of life or in the the, the down seasons, if you will, or in the valleys of life, or maybe even in the ministry. I've suffered this before as a pastor. In, in the valleys of ministry, uh, and when things aren't going very well, or you're hurting, uh, or, or dealing with issues that you don't want to deal with, or, or whatever, and, and sometimes we just forget to stop and go, God, remind me of what's really important. Remind me of who you are. And your love for me. You know, as a parent, one of my favorite things that, that my kids do from time to time is, is come up and, and ask me, are you proud of me? Do you love That's the way I, th I think that's their way of saying, do you love me? And I love to sit down and explain to them all the different ways that I love them and that I've shown them that love as a parent. I think with all my heart, God would love to do that for us every day. Just to remind us, you're my child. I love you. And he does that through his word. As a matter of fact, write this, write this down. You can look at it on your own a little bit later. But write down Ephesians chapter uh, 1 and 2. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, I'm going to quote this. This is what he says. 
Paul says this to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 2.1, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So I want you to think about that for a minute. Jesus doesn't just make bad men good or bad women good. Jesus makes the dead man alive. Apart from Christ, before you come to Christ, you were dead. And Jesus made you alive. And then he says in chapter 1, verse 3, and I probably should have quoted it first. This is what he says in chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now, that's why I told you to write down Ephesians 1 and 2, because I'm going to read off some things, and these are all just Ephesians 1 and 2. Here's some of the blessings that he's given you. He has paid the penalty for your sin, according to chapter 1, verse 7. He has made you a child of God, according to Ephesians 1, 5. He has revealed God's will for you, according to Ephesians 1, 9. He has provided an eternal inheritance for you, talking about heaven, Ephesians 1, 11. God has given, me, or given you and me the Holy Spirit to abide within us as a counselor and a comforter in our time of need, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. He has opened my eyes with understanding, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. He has brought me, again, I'm going to requote that, from spiritual death to spiritual life, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It's why the other day when we had a funeral for Linda Reddick, I was able to stand in front of the church and quote off Jesus' words from John chapter 4 that says that whenever someone comes to me, at that moment when they come to me, they cross from death to life. You see, we, we sometimes people die and we think they've died. That person didn't die if they're a believer because they cross from death to life the moment they become a believer and a child of God. And at the very moment they took their last breath on earth, they take their first breath in heaven, and there is no limbo that they're in and we, a misunderstanding of where they are and what they're doing. The Bible makes that clear. Why? Because when we come to Christ, he takes us from death to life. And then he says this in, in chapter 2, verse 10. He has given me a meaningful purpose of good works to pursue. God has a plan for you. Something he has put and set aside for you to do. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, says he talks about he's given us peace with God. Chapter 2, verse 12, he's given me hope. Chapter 2, verse 19, he's brought me into the family of faith. He's giving us a family of faith, which is the church. What has Jesus done for you? He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. And if he's done that much for you, we should be busting at the seams to go tell others what he can do for them. You see, the fact of the matter is, in 1988, Nike came up with a slogan that took the world by storm, and it did so because it got people to stop thinking and talking about doing something. Talk is cheap. Get up and just do it. I had a shirt about it one time that says, don't, uh, don't contemplate, just elevate inside in the air. Now, I, I really couldn't jump that high, but I love that shirt, and I wore it all the time. Don't contemplate. Don't think about it. Don't hesitate. Just jump and decide in the air. Just do it. And while we need to give towards missions, we should, and you ought to pray hard about what God would have you give financially towards missions. I pray that we never forget that we're not just to give towards missions. We are to do missions. And we're to do missions. 
because he told us to and because of humanity's condition and because the gospel is exclusive and because of what he simply did for you.